On the morning of the 27th of January 2015, police arrived at the doors of 12 Hoska Street after receiving a strange call stating that intruders had broken into a house in one of the most exclusive estates in Stellenbosch in South Africa. They said that the intruders had attacked and killed the whole family with an axe. The call had come in just after 7am from one of the survivors of the attack, 20-year-old Henry Van Breda, who on the phone call to 911 sounded strangely unfazed. What is Stephen? What is your emergency? I, um, yeah. I need an ambulance, lots of... Um, you need an please. ambulance? Yes, please. What's your name, sir? Uh, Henry Van Breda. Yeah, can you please just send an ambulance, or more than one ambulance, to Desultza Wineland in Sevenbosch. Desultza? Yeah, can you find that, please? Desultza. And you the patient? No, no, my family is, someone attacked my family. Hey? Someone has attacked my family in my house. <laughs> okay, so you need the police, or <laughs> well, an ambulance? An ambulance, please, yeah. Now, who is um, injured? My, I think everyone. Everyone in your house? Everyone, four people, yes. Adults, two adults. Two adults and two, well, three adults and one teenage girl, yes. What are the injuries? Um, head injuries, I look. Are they conscious? I don't think so, my sister's moving, but that's it. Are there any suspects on scene? Uh, no, no, they ran away. With what were they attacked? I, um, an, an axe. I, it, it was, I, I think I blacked out and I've just woken up. What an ex. Okay, stay on the line. I'm going to speak to the police. Thank you, but please send an ambulance as quickly as possible. Yes. My family and we were attacked by a guy with an oh. ex. With an ex. Unconscious, he says. Unconscious, huh? Yes, and bleeding from the head, please. Okay, thank you. So we'll send it. You just keep your phone open in case they get lost. Yeah, can you please? Okay. Yeah, they'll, they'll call on my mobile away. phone. Okay. On my, yeah. on my mobile phone, I'll be out in the street. Then I'll okay. The ambulance there. Okay, then. Okay, how, how long will the ambulance take? Uh, it won't be too long. They'll send the ambulance out as soon as okay. possible. Okay. Okay. Then. Thank you, sir. Okay. Bye. 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 When emergency services and police arrived at the Van Breda family home, they were greeted by the caller of the 911 call, Henry Van Breda, near the front entrance of the property. Henry was distraught, trembling and nervous, and he was only wearing a pair of sleeping shorts and socks. The sergeant ordered him to sit on the ground and wait there whilst they entered the multi-million rand house. When they entered, at first it seemed undisturbed and nothing seemed out of place. However, when they got to the top of the stairs, they found a middle-aged woman lying next to a young girl. The victims were 55-year-old Teresa Van Breda and her 16-year-old daughter Marley. At first, it was believed that both Teresa and Marley were dead, but as the sergeant started to carefully move past them, Marley's foot twitched ever so slightly. The sergeant quickly called for backup and an ambulance, and when paramedics arrived, they raced to the top of the stairs and lifted Marley onto a gurney and loaded her into the ambulance and took her to the nearest hospital. Back at the house, the sergeant continued to move through the first floor, and in one of the bedrooms, he found 54-year-old Martin Van Breda lying on a bed and his son, 22-year-old Rudy, on the floor. 
Both of them were in pools of blood and had sadly succumbed to their injuries. All the police and the paramedics at the scene were completely shocked at this awful crime scene and said it was one of the worst ones they had ever seen. Intruders breaking into a complex in a highly secured gated community and axing a whole family to death and stealing nothing raised red flags to everyone. The gated community where the house was located had controlled access and the estate had a wide range of security features, inclusive of electronic fencing and cameras, as well as regular patrols of the property by security personnel. So how had this happened? Quickly, all eyes fell on one person who could hopefully reveal what had led to all the bloodshed. That person was 20-year-old Henry Van Breda, the only member of the family to have survived that night without any life-threatening injuries. Still dressed in his sleep shorts and blood-soaked socks, Henry was ushered into an ambulance and treated for minor superficial injuries he had sustained. He had cuts on his chest and arm, as well as injuries on his head, back and leg. He was bandaged up and immediately taken in for questioning. In the interrogation room, Henry spoke of the chilling events that had taken place that night. Henry told police that he had been watching a movie with his brother and father before the whole family decided to go to bed. Henry played a few games on his phone for a while before heading upstairs into the ensuite bathroom in the bedroom he shared with his brother Rudy. It was then that he heard loud bangs coming from inside the bedroom. When he opened the bathroom door to see what was going on, he saw a man attacking his brother with an axe. The man's head was covered with a balaclava-type mask, and he wore dark clothes and gloves, and the man was laughing as he brutally attacked Rudy. Henry said he stood frozen in fear, but then their father Martin burst into the room, turned on the lights, and started wrestling with the intruder, trying to save his son's life. Despite his best efforts, Martin was hit by the axe and lost the battle. Henry then claimed he heard his mother, Teresa, shout from outside of the bedroom, asking what was going on. The man with the axe then moved towards Henry, and Henry was able to wrestle the axe away from his grip. Unfortunately, the attacker also had a knife, and managed to slash Henry's chest. Henry landed one blow to the man with the blunt side of the axe, and then the attacker ran out of the room, and Henry chased after him. Henry said he heard loud voices speaking in something that sounded like Afrikaans. As he left his and Rudy's bedroom into the corridor, he saw his mother and sister lying in pools of blood at the top of the staircase, which was just outside the bedroom door. Henry then saw his attacker run down the stairs, and Henry threw the axe towards him, but sadly missed. At this point, Henry lost his footing and slipped down the stairs. When he got back to his feet, he tried to follow the attackers, who had gone towards the kitchen and fled out the back door, but it was too late and they were gone. Henry then went to call for help, but could not remember the number for emergency services, so he called his girlfriend instead at 4.24am, but she did not answer. Henry then said he passed out on the stairs and only regained consciousness hours later, just after 7am. Once conscious again, he smoked a few cigarettes at the dining room table and then proceeded to call the emergency services. Following hearing Henry's events of what had happened that night, the police investigated further. If Henry's story was true, then it was a miracle that he had escaped the horrific night relatively unscathed, with just superficial wounds, whilst the rest of the family's injuries were shocking and lethal. 
Why had this family been targeted, and how had these supposed intruders got into such a high security estate and then stolen absolutely nothing? The Van Breda family seems to be a normal well-to-do family, so who would ever want to hurt them? Martin and Teresa Van Breda married on the 16th of February 1990 and had three children together, Rudy, Henry and Marley. The members of the Van Breda family were described as well-educated, intelligent and well-mannered. Martin was respected in the business community for his achievements and integrity. He was described as a dominant figure and was a strong businessman who had amassed a fortune of over $17 million by the time of his death. Due to his business ventures, he and his family left South Africa for Perth, Australia in the beginning of 2006, where they spent eight happy years. Martin, Teresa and Marley then relocated permanently back to South Africa in January of 2014 as Martin had launched a new school project in South Africa and Teresa wanted to live closer to her family. Rudy and Henry, however, remained in Australia to continue their studies. Martin, Teresa and Marley moved to the upmarket Desalts Winelands Golf Estate in South Africa and this was considered an extremely safe and luxurious place to live. In August of 2014, Henry decided to terminate his studies in Australia and went to South Africa to join his parents and his sister. At the time of the murders, Rudy was doing his master's degree in engineering and over the Christmas break he decided to come and visit his family in South Africa. The Van Breda family were described as a close-knit, decent family with no enemies. Law enforcement found Henry's events of that night highly unbelievable, and they hoped that they would get a true account of what had happened from the only other family member who had survived, Marley. After being rushed to the hospital, doctors were unsure if Marley would make it. She was alive, but barely and the injuries she had sustained meant that any surgery would not only be life-threatening, but could also impact her quality of life if she did survive. Marley had suffered multiple blows to the head and her jugular vein had been sliced open. Doctors eventually decided to perform life-saving surgery on the teenager and miraculously she survived. Of all the victims, Marley had put up the greatest fight. Unlike her mother and brother, who had minor defensive wounds, which may have meant they were asleep shortly before the attack, Marley maybe saw her attacker coming and tried to fight him off. Her father Martin had deep wounds on his back, indicating that he had used his own body to try and shield Rudy from his axe-wielding attacker. Marley went through extensive surgeries and physiotherapy, but she was alive. Everyone waited with bated breath to hear her version of what had happened the night her parents and brother were killed. But sadly, Marley couldn't remember a thing. Eventually, she was diagnosed with retrograde amnesia. This occurs after a traumatic brain injury and affects memories which were formed before the traumatic event. Therefore, it was up to law enforcement themselves to find out what had really happened the night of the murders. In their investigation, they slowly started to pull apart Henry's account of that night and uncovered the truth. Firstly, the police found no evidence of forced entry. How could intruders have gained entry into this highly guarded estate? 
the estate was protected by an electrified fence. There were also cameras at certain points and patrols by security guards. Proper access to the estate could only be gained through the access-controlled gates. It was said that someone attempting to gain entry without being detected would have to have extensive knowledge of the estate and its security features. All vehicles that had entered the estate that night had been accounted for and no unknown visitors went through the access-controlled main gate. During the course of the night, no alarms were activated and no trespassers were found or reported on the estate. If any such event had taken place, the monitor would have been activated and staff would have responded. Therefore, it was concluded that there was no security breach on the night of the murders. The Van Bredar house itself did not seem consistent with a house that had just been robbed. The house on the ground floor was not in disarray and items of value were not taken. The Van Bredars had left many valuables on the ground floor, including a laptop, watches, a wallet full of cash, car keys to vehicles that were in the garage, and they were all within the view of anyone entering or exiting the house. An open handbag was sitting on the dining room table, and there was an open laptop bag in the study. The cupboard doors in the study were open, but the contents of the cupboards was neat. The valuables were mainly on the ground floor of the house, and the attack took place on the first floor. If the intention of the perpetrators was to steal, one would have expected them to remove the numerous valuables from the ground floor without disturbing the sleeping occupants on the first floor. Despite all of this, the alleged intruders did not take a single thing. The next thing to raise flags was Henry's demeanour on the night of the murders. The 911 operator who had responded to Henry's call stated that she first thought the call was a prank as Henry sounded calm and controlled. She said that over the 25-minute call, Henry did not get angry, agitated, shout or scream like when something life-threatening happens to a person. He did not ask what he could do to assist his dying family. Henry's lack of urgency and demeanour during a disturbingly and unduly long conversation with the emergency services seemed to be highly unusual for a traumatised victim. Henry, however, said that his reasoning for this was that he had a speech impediment and stuttered, for which he had previously received speech therapy for. Therefore, he said he was speaking in this manner as he was taught the technique to speak slowly and calmly because as soon as he started speaking fast, he would get stuck. Police found it strange that Henry had waited so long to call for help. Henry claimed that he couldn't find any emergency numbers and that this was why he called his girlfriend first at 4.24am, but when she didn't answer, he googled for emergency numbers at 4.27am, where he then blacked out. However, it was found that the Van Bredar family kept a piece of paper, with emergency telephone numbers stuck to the fridge. Henry's reasoning for not using one of these phone numbers was that he didn't think an ambulance would come to him quick enough if he called one of those numbers, so he wanted to call the ambulance directly himself. However, it seemed that Henry took his sweet time as three hours passed before he finally called emergency services at 7.12am. Next, the wounds Henry suffered were all superficial. Some barely broke the skin and were very light cuts. Considering the shocking injuries that his family sustained, it seemed suspiciously convenient that Henry had escaped with a few cuts that had all missed any sensitive or vital areas. 
It also appeared that the injuries were in areas that could be self-inflicted. Henry also did not seem to have suffered from a concussion, which the medical practitioner thought was strange, considering he had claimed to have fallen and lost consciousness. Eighteen months into the investigation, police believed Henry Van Breda was the only suspect, and on the 13th of June 2016, Henry Van Breda handed himself over to the police on the instruction of his lawyer. His bail was set at 100,000 rand, which is equivalent to just under $8,000, and he paid for this himself, and in September of that same year, Henry and his girlfriend were arrested in Cape Town for the possession of cannabis. They were later granted bail and the case was postponed. On the 4th of April 2017, Henry Van Breda's trial began and he was faced with three charges of murder, one of attempted murder and another of defeating the ends of justice. The murder trial lasted 61 days and a seemingly emotionless Henry Van Breda was found guilty on all charges. We have committed crimes with a degree of unbridled violence. The violence directed against your own family, killing three and causing serious harm to the fourth. It was a cold-blooded murder. The violence was excessive and gratuitous. It was intended to cause maximum harm. We have no explanation for what you did. You have displayed no remorse. We have heard extensive evidence of the consequences of your conduct, the cruel consequences. Yet we have no explanation from you. No substantial and compelling circumstances have been placed before us. They appear to be none. Law enforcement had managed to completely pull apart Henry's story, but if he had really committed this brutal attack, why had he done it? Everyone had been asking themselves why. Why would a privileged young man commit such a heinous crime? Cornelius Van Breda, Martin's brother, testified that Martin had no enemies and that the Van Bredas were a normal family with normal differences. Martin was not involved in underhanded business transactions and Martin's former colleagues had the greatest respect for him. A neighbour living a few hundred metres from the Van Bredas' home told the court during the trial that she heard what sounded like male voices with an aggressive undertone that sounded like an argument on the night of the murders. Henry had argued that he had been watching Star Trek II on their new hi-fi system with his brother and father and that this was the sound the neighbour had heard. The neighbour, however, was adamant that she did not hear a movie with music and she testified that she was familiar with the Star Trek theme song and that what she had heard were loud voices and that she remembered being disturbed and frightened. Therefore, it was speculated that perhaps an argument had broken out that evening between some of the family members. When sentencing Henry, the judge said, You have not told the court what precipitated these events at night. We know from an independent witness that there was an argument, a loud one, which persisted in your house for several hours. At best for you, we can assume that the crimes were not committed in a vacuum, but are the product of some disgruntlement in the family. To this day, Henry has never explained the motive for his actions. We do not know what caused him to brutally attack his whole family that night. Neighbours and close family friends described Henry as always having been the black sheep of the family. While the other Van Breda children had been thriving at school and university, he had decided to drop out of his studies. He came back to live with his parents in South Africa in August of 2014, taking a gap year with no real plan for his life. 
perhaps disappointing his loving but strict father. It was also alleged that Henry had a nasty tick addiction. Tick is a common name for crystal meth in South Africa, and Henry's addiction was allegedly so bad that he spent some time at an expensive rehabilitation centre. The same day of the incident, however, a blood sample was taken from Henry, and it was concluded that no drugs could be detected in the blood specimen. Prosecutors believed that Martin and Teresa had cut Henry off financially because of his drug problem, and this had led to an argument that night, which the neighbour had heard coming from the family home. Prosecutors claimed that an enraged Henry then decided to take his anger out on his sleeping brother, the perfect son who had a bright future ahead of him. Perhaps Henry felt the pressure of not measuring up to the expectations of his parents, and this may have driven him over the edge. When his father came into the room and saw Henry attacking his brother, Henry knew that it was too late and that they all had to die. These are just speculations, however, and we may never truly know why Henry Van Breda decided to murder his whole family. Marley was just 16 years old in 2015 when her parents and brother were killed and due to the trauma after the attack, she was unable to testify in court. After six weeks of being in hospital, she was placed under the care of her aunt and uncle, and despite the emotional and physical trauma, she went back to school. She was allowed to start school permanently after she showed serious improvement and could cope with her subjects and the stress from school. She had the help of specialised tutors who were enlisted to assist her in catching up while she also continued to undergo therapy and counselling sessions. Under South African law, a person is not able to benefit financially from a crime, so Henry will not inherit anything from his parents, and Marley will most likely inherit the family fortune of about 200 million rand. Today, Marley now leads a private life and away from the public eye, and I hope that wherever she is today, she's doing okay, despite all the trauma she had to go through, and I think she's a truly incredible survivor. Henry was given three life sentences for the murder of his mother, Teresa, his father, Martin, and his brother, Rudy. He was also sentenced to an additional 15 years for the attempted murder of his sister Marley, as well as an additional 12 months for obstructing the course of justice. On count one, the murder of Rudy van Breda, he was sentenced to life imprisonment. On count two, the murder of Martin van Breda, he was sentenced to life imprisonment. On count three, the murder of Teresa van Breda, he was sentenced to life imprisonment. For the attempted murder of Mali van Breda, you are sentenced to 15 years in prison. On count five, obstructing the course of justice, for the administration of justice, as said out in the charge sheet, you are sentenced to 12 months in prison. During his time in prison, Henry was involved in a prison brawl and had his head split open by a padlock. He was moved to a different facility in the outskirts of Johannesburg at the beginning of 2022, where he is currently serving his sentence. Back in 2018, Henry's girlfriend Danielle stuck by his side the whole time and refused to believe he could have murdered his whole family. 
She was so sure he was innocent, even once he was sentenced, and with Henry in jail, they continued their relationship and regularly sent each other love letters. It feels so good to be writing to you. I feel like you're here with me and nothing helps me more than that. But I love you so, so much and I cannot wait to be able to look at you in the eyes, kiss you and tell you so over and over again. They are amazing to me. I think they're really well written, so to me, and um, it's lovely to hear about how much he loves me and how like he, he still you know feels the same way about me as he used to. I'm unsure, however, if she's still with him today, as this was back in 2018, and I cannot find any more up-to-date information regarding this. Overall, this case is completely mind-boggling. Henry's apparent lack of motive completely blows my mind, and it's crazy that we'll probably never really know why he did this. As always, my heart goes out to the victims in this tragic, tragic case. I think Marley's absolutely incredible, and I cannot begin to understand the pain and suffering she went through.